Put down your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Hey Tom. Hi Andy. How you doing buddy? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I've got a nice Earl Grey tea to get me through um, this episode. How about yourself? I'm uh, being a rebel today and on a Krabby's alcoholic ginger beer. Steady on. Careful now. So, what's on the episode? Well, we've got all our regular segments. Hobby progress, hobby news, hobby purchases, listener questions. And then the main segment where we're looking at 10 things that we like in the hobby. Well, that sounds fantastic, Tom. Let's get started. Hobby progress. So it's a couple of weeks since we last recorded, Andy. I would assume you've probably painted an army. I've been slowing down a bit on the painting. It's only only a month, less than a month I'm back to work. So I'm trying to get a few other things sorted. So I I was feeling a bit bad about how much I've got painted over the year in lockdown. I thought I hadn't done that much, but it turned out I had done uh, a reasonable amount. Uh, um, so where should I start? Uh, bats and rats. No cats, but just bats and rats. I actually ordered um, some bits and bobs. I managed to win on eBay some of the bats and some of the rats from Cursed City. <laughs> we'll talk about Cursed City later and uh, later on in the show because I want to use them in Zone Alpha. I wanted to have some some rat swarms for that, and I thought bats, rats. What's a What's a letter between friends when you're playing the game? Some mutant bats was good as mutant rats. And I also painted a terror bird for my um, space goats. I was quite excited to do it because they kind of came in and I painted them straight away. So they arrived in the mail. I assembled them that day, primed them the next day and painted them. Just got them done straight away. And this is something I've been trying to do for a while. Is actually get to the point where things come in. And I just paint them while I've got the excitement to do it as well. Um, I had some bases come in that some of those necromander ones. I was going to put my space goats on. They came in, I undercoated them, and I painted them. This is, this is the dream that I've had is to get to a point where I can actually paint things straight away when I have a lot of enthusiasm to get that that project done. And that seems to be happening at the moment. My new stuff's coming in. Um, I also finished off my 15 millimeter Moroccan rebels to fight the French Foreign Legion. So I guess that's an army done, Tom. Didn't want to disappoint you. They're finished. One last thing. I start because I was enjoying my 15 mil. I started work on my um, Ducks Britannia Arm 15 mil. I got some models from Splintered Light like four years ago, five years ago, and I finally got them stuck onto pennies and undercoated. And I, I've done just six models so far uh, for my Romano British, but hopefully I make a bit more headway as we go forward on those as well. So. Yeah, I guess a quiet couple of weeks. I think that um, just picking up on the idea of painting things or building things as they come in, Mm -hmm. when you sort of got that excitement on, it's something we will sort of talk about more when we discuss the the listener question, which is about looking at that idea of sort of like, as some people phrase it, you know, the pile of shame slash you know the pile of opportunity. That sort of thing, and I know some of the projects that I've enjoyed the most are things which have come in. I've you know pretty much like undone the package straight onto my painting table and mm-hmm. you know, got on with them straight away. So after painting nine bases in two days a few weeks ago, I was sort of a little bit burnt out 
by that effort of painting them. So I had five days off, didn't pick up a paintbrush, didn't pick up a file, did no hobbying at all. And then when I got back into painting, I just it took it much more slowly and I worked on two bases at a time rather than five. And I just find it much more pleasurable. And over a week, I got another nine of the line infantry painted, which is now all of the standard line infantry painted, which gives me five brigades, which is, yeah, it looks quite nice. Looking forward to getting them all. Uh, you know, flocked up with the flags on and so starting to see them as full brigades with the light infantry and the commanders That's and everything it. on there. Uh, but then this weekend, I wanted a, a change really from painting and I realised I'd not actually built any plastic models this year. The, mm-hmm. the, the last models I built was the Oathmark stuff, which I built yeah. over Christmas. And like since then, all I've done really is clean some metal models. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, I mostly built the Japanese armies that I've got that I'm probably going to take to the event in July. But I wasn't exactly 100% sure what I had on a per model basis for the two Japanese armies I've been planning Mm -hmm. for a while. So I got all the tanks built and most of the metal infantry built. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the brilliant joy of the uh, Warlord Tayari tracks on tanks. It's like, oh, here we go. Um, so just a shout out to Warlord. Please put the dies for the six-part tracks in the bin because they never match up. No. <laughs> the, the, I built, I think, four of the plastic Japanese Warlord tanks and three of them use the same hull, and they have the two-part tracks, just like a big one that goes on the bottom, and then a roughly flat one that goes on the top. Yeah. Piece of cake. The six-part ones, which have the like the two tiny little bits that go around. The yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, worse than the Hetzer. Worse than the Hetzer. Worse than the Hetzer, because they're thinner. They're they're, they're they're slightly smaller than the Hetzons and just awful. Um, Breaking news here: uh, we've got reports coming in that it's worse than the Hetzons. <laughs> and then uh, I, I, yeah, so those sort of I did those, cleaned up all the metal infantry, built a uh, 105 howitzer. Shock! Mm-hmm. There are competent building instructions for it available on the website so you can build a, a metal artillery piece with some idea of what you're doing uh, um, i mean i'm still i'm still reeling from the news this attack worse than <laughs> put together than the hetzer um but you're telling me that there's instructions for an artillery piece online that are actually accurate relatively uh, unfortunately Re- they don't show one piece is uh, the the axle has various little doodads on it which look remarkably like flash yeah, and and they don't tell you which of the bits you need and which bits are like the molding channels, right? So you do have that good old roll dice of having a guess slash looking at an that's actual. What, that's what mud and weathering stuff's for. Oh well, slap some <laughs> yeah. mud on. It's got dirty there. <laughs> that's that's going to be these these tank tracks as well. They're going to definitely have. Oh, it's picked up a lump of 
Mark or Grass on that weld on the trank. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I've got all those built. I've still got the box of infantry, plastic infantry to build, but I'm sure by the time I've actually got it all split out from having never bought this army in one go and just collected bits and pieces when I've seen them going for sale or cheap, I should probably have the two armies that I want. Uh, yeah. Save one unit um, of uh, like sort of Sino-Japanese marines that i want but i'm at the moment i can't really justify paying about 30 pounds for a single unit yeah of, of what i want just because i want the correct models with the machine gun because they were holding a warehouse and i think it's just i'm going to survive without having them for the time being and just use generic japanese infantry i think okay. You've got quite a lot of projects to work on, as I recall. So, Yes, I've got a lot of projects to work on. And also, the thing with, with a bolt-action army, £30 is a sizable chunk of a whole army. Yeah, yeah. Um, it isn't just being... Like, £30 is £30 anyways. It is a, a decent chunk of change. But in a bolt-action army, which is always under 100 yeah, for a, a single unit, I, I think it's, it's quite pricey. Yeah, and a box of 30 infantry and some uh, and a tank. Yeah, you could definitely get a box of like 30 infantry and a, a tank or an artillery piece for 30 quid. Yeah, and that's, and it, yeah. It's a core, isn't it? Yeah, the reason why I've got to pay £30 for this one unit of probably seven dudes is because very few people make the marine models in the right uniforms. Yeah. And when they do, they're in sets of four or five, but they're all like four or five who've all got like machine guns, four or five officers, four or five riflemen. So if you just want to make one squad of them, you, you technically need to buy those three squads. Have you thought about looking for um, STL files, see if you can get them 3D printed? I have seen a heavy mortar, Japanese heavy mortar I want to get. But I would imagine by the time I've bought the separate files for them and then got someone to print them, it's definitely something to look into. But because I only want one of them, yeah. if I like, for example, if I wanted to have an army of them, it would be in a way much more affordable. Because like that pack of five LMGs and the pack of five officers do five squads. Yeah. Surprisingly, five splits into five. Um <laughs> But you know, this this is this is just the, the wormhole you get down to, where sometimes when you're playing historics and you go, well, I'd quite like them to be in the right uniform because in this one they were wearing like the blue canvas uniforms with the putties and the gaiters and that sort Those of thing. Those lapels are wrong, Tom. I'm not playing you. They're the wrong lapels. Yeah, so I'm sort of I'm avoiding doing that because I've done pretty well this month on my hobby purchases, and I, I don't want it all to sort of go to pot in May. Yeah, well, it sounds like we might be heading in the table hobby purchases now, Tom. Well, shall we, with that classy segue, shall we move into hobby purchases? Only if you play a jingle. Hobby purchases. So, uh, hobby purchases, I think you, we'll go with you first, Tom, because I think you probably spent less than me. Well, 
if listeners recall, at the end of March, I made the prediction that I wanted to spend £15 in April, or less than 15, 15 the most of £15 in April, and I have spent, for the whole of April, £13.50. Which well done. I decided not to get back the Nick Starter for Stargrave. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at it, and it, it was a cool deal. It was a very good deal. I do. I would like a box of the troops. I want. I'm going to get the rule book soon, but I just decided at the time I wasn't. There was none of the extras that really jumped out at me. So I was like, I need this model. Yeah. There were nice models, but they weren't like I need this model. I've already bought a crew for them. Yeah. I think the 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 extra models that you need for the, like, the wandering characters and that sort of thing, I'm sure I can pull out of my collection. And the final decider was really, buying a £20 rule book is a lot different to buy, packing a, a £50 yeah. Nick starter. And I thought, that is £30. You've got a lot of models for your 30 quid. But I just, you know, I've just been talking about how I'm not spending £30 on a bolt action unit. I thought, it's still... I'm getting a lot of stuff for it, but it's still quite an outlay for yeah. the stuff that I'm getting. So I decided not to. Yeah, no, I, I had exactly the same. I've not, I've not backed it as well, Tom. And that's not because I don't think it's a good deal. I think it's an incredible deal. All the extra stuff you get is fantastic. Uh, that's good. That's good if you if you need the extra stuff. And I am not running out of things to paint and build right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I might go and buy another box. And as you said, none of the models were like, I just have to have that model. And I have a dice and I've got plastic sprues of things lying around in my bits box. So I'm not running out of things to, to back. But I just thought, am I just spending an extra £25 here for stuff that I don't really need? And I'm going to have sat there and I'm, you know, in my in my to do list when I don't really need them. So um, I think I'm just going to get the rule book because that's actually all I need right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's exactly what I'm going to do, and I because I don't need the rule book right now because we're still relatively a while off. I think gaming, yeah, in person, and also when we do start getting some gaming in person, personally, I'm going to want to play some bolt action. So I remember how to play it before we go to this event. That is exactly my thought as well. About this event, I need to learn how to play that game again. Um, something about dice. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought. Picking up Stargrave rule book can wait till I put an order in at yeah. a later date and add to the postage. So uh, what I did buy, talking about you see a model and you need to buy it, mm-hmm. a company produced, there is for our international listeners or people who are outside of London might not know that there is the mayoral election in London yeah. going on at the moment. And one of the candidates... Lord Binhead, I think his name is, or something like that, has released an official 28 mil figure as part of his election campaign. Um, It's actually a charity figure that raises money for the NHS. But I was looking at that, the website where you can purchase that model from, and they were selling a model called Mad Marks, which is the Road Warrior as... It's Karl Marks as the Road Warrior. (laughs) I thought that is a model I do need to own. Yeah. So I bought that for four pounds. 
Are you going to make it into your Stargrave? Um, I think he would make like a good Stargrave pilot or something, trying to you know, redistribute capital. Or... Yeah, he's going to seize the means of production, I think. Yeah, now sort of needs... Uh, so sort of started me thinking of like what other sort of political characters would be good to sort of fit into sort of 1980s post-apocalyptic sort of movies. Yeah. Imagine sort of... And Rand does some kind of weird Master Blaster sort of combo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after I, so that was the, the, the one model I bought this month. And yeah. Then, yeah, I uh, bought a little bit more than that, Tom. Well, I, 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 my, my purchases aren't finished there. Oh, okay. I then learned of a rule set made in New Zealand called Tribal, which is for, it's a skirmish game for fighting intertribal warfare. In a, like a, a pre-gunpowder era age, it's like it, it's meant specifically, really for fighting things like Maoris, like battles and yeah. that sort of a thing. And there are some really nice Maori models. But the reason why I purchased it was that somebody was saying on a group post reading that you can also use it for playing sort of like uh, a heroic era things so if you want, like Achilles versus Hector. And I was yeah. like, it's, it's a brilliant rule set for doing that. So, and because I've got Mortal Gods models knocking about and that sort of thing, I, I picked that up and think it would be something quite interesting mm-hmm. to sort of look at. Because, you know, it's, it's one of those rules where, although it's meant primarily for playing, you know, Maoris, you can easily use it for any intertribal conflict. You can have, you know, Greeks versus Trojans, you can have Vikings, you can have plain Indians. Do whatever you want with it. Models do you need per side? It's you come up. Each mission has a different amount of points, mm-hmm. and different types of unit are different points. So, like a hero is worth one point, and yeah. it could be like uh, minions are like five of them are worth one point, and most armies have, I think, about four points of models. So you're yeah. probably looking at, like... I haven't read the rules at all in depth yet. I think you're probably looking at somewhere between 12 and 20 models in total. But I think you, you could possibly play it with four models or 30. Or you should probably play it and then have a review. Yeah. Cool. You can buy a hard copy of it for £15. I bought the PDF for nine fifty, simply to save a bit of shelf room and to have a look at it and see what I thought, and you know, saves five pound fifty. So that was for my my total for April purchases came in at thirteen fifty. So Tom, I think I think I've worked out why I never have any money. Uh, <laughs> So I may have spent a little bit more than you this 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 fortnight. So so I got those bats. The bats were seven pounds off eBay. That's pretty cheap. And the rats were four pounds, even better. Amazing prices for those. Now I may have mentioned I tried to get some inserts for my really useful box before. I ordered some from Sally Four, and when they arrived, I realised I hadn't bought the actual tray inserts, but I bought some dividers. To go inside the track, I actually completely misordered the wrong thing, but I kept holding okay. it because they might be useful in the future. So I didn't have the actual insert, so I then went and 
bought those inserts that I needed from war bases because I was sure I was getting the right thing then. But I also wanted to get a few of the like the two and one P bases because I'd painted up my French and Ar and um, Moroccan guys. So I wanted some movement trays for those 15 mil guys. So I bought those from war bases as well. So I got enough for the whole army to be on bases. And that was £43.74. Yeah, it's... Uh, I know when I was doing the Earthmark stuff, I kept having to buy... The Earthmark and the War of the Roses stuff, Kept keep buying movement trays for them. It was just... Oh! It's surprisingly yeah. expensive. But I'm thinking that small scale, it's just going to make the games... So, so much easier. Play. And it's like, I, just, I just did it. I just like... as a outlay now but it's going to help me in the future i actually get the games played i bought some shield transfers from the big man studios little big man studios because i have my models from splintered light they actually make specific transfers to go on those models on their shields and i thought well i have to get those because it's going to make my life so much easier than trying to paint the designs on and they were like, it was like eight pounds for all the shield transfers for the Saxons and for the Roman Romano British. So like, yeah, eight pounds for those. Then <sighs> Warlord had a bit of a sale, didn't they? So I bought um, Clash of Eagles and um, Albion Triumphant Volume One because I am thinking of doing Austrians, but more thinking of doing Portuguese. For we are hoping to do some. We'll talk about slits and Napoleonics perhaps in 2022. And because I don't want to do Prussians, I'm doing Prussians in six mil. I thought I don't want to do Prussians again in 28 mil. Maybe that's a mistake. Maybe I should just be focusing on one force for both. But I thought I'll do something different. So I'm thinking about doing Austrians or Portuguese. So I bought those two books anyway, and that was 31 pounds and 25p. But there's some good news. I got a nine pound refund from Goblin Gaming. Nice. Um, they couldn't get the green stuff that I wanted, and I'd paid for express delivery for the stuff, and then it had been so long from the wing that I said, look, I don't need express delivery anymore. I don't need it next day. It's been so long. Just sent it to me standard, so they gave me a refund. And I, I, couldn't, I didn't buy the Crimson Court. I know I'd spoke about getting Crimson Court with you last episode, and I would have done, but it sold out. So I saved, so I saved actually probably £29, but for the for this purpose of this calculation, I've taken nine pound off my spend, so it's eighty-five pounds and ten pence I've spent. Ouch! And I don't really feel like I really <laughs> again. It's a case of like, how did I spend so much? Well, I know for me that is why I found this segment truly invaluable. Yeah. Of, of like tracking how much I've spent and bought. And to be honest, I think it's, it's probably it, no, it did factor into why I didn't buy Sargrave. Yeah, because it's like I'd made my thing of I want to spend fifteen pounds this month. Yeah, and I thought, well, I I, got, I I didn't want to then just come up with like a, a, an excuse to jiggle out of it. And also, like I know earlier on in the year when I was buying bases and stuff like that, it's stuff that you don't count that you've bought because it isn't necessarily a toy. Yeah, and you think actually, it's something you should definitely, I think, sort of factor into your hobby spending when you think well, because you know, as you said, you know, you spent eighty quid this fortnight, and, and it wasn't really... even trying, it wasn't even. Yeah. I mean, 
the really useful box inserts that I got are fantastic. And I think I'm going to be changing across to using really useful boxes with the inserts as my main way of storing models from now on. And I've got some KR cases, so I'll probably be selling off my old KR cases, replacing them. Really. And so I'm going to make some of that money back from selling the really uh, selling the, um, the KR cases to other hobbyists that want them. So I will get some money back from that. But um, yeah, it kind of surprised me when I sat down and I was like, geez, that's a lot. But I don't really think of things like movement trays and storage boxes and rule, book, rule books as like hobby spends. They're kind of just things you just get. Yeah, I, I had to pack up my gaming bookcase because having some works done in the flat and I have a bookcase I put all my rule books on. Mm-hmm. And because rule books are never in the same size, they're always different sizes. They're, they were also all scattered all over the place in this bookcase. And I found several rule books that I'd completely forgotten that I'd got. And I was like, I, I would have, if I hadn't have done this bookcasing, I would probably have bought Albion Triumphant in the sale. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh no, I've already got it. Yeah. So, Talking about your bookcase, yeah, this, you know, um, I do think I should just go through my bookcase and maybe just be a bit honest to myself with which games I'm going to be playing. I've got games that I've had for ages and I'm like, but then now I'm actually paying out my Ducks Britannia Arms stuff that I've had for ages and I remember thinking like, why am I keeping this rule set? Am I ever even going to paint these models? And now I'm actually starting work on them, you know, so maybe I shouldn't be thinking about getting rid of old. But there are some rule sets I've got, and I'm like, am I ever actually going to play this? You know, why have I got this here? I've With, like, old rule sets, the only rule sets I would contemplate getting rid of are things that you no longer have the models for mm-hmm. and cannot, in a reasonable sense, see you getting the models for playing that again. Yeah, the same as with D and D. You know, if you go, I've got original D and D. I've got a D and D. I've got some three point five stuff, a fourth edition book, and then my current fifth edition books. Yeah, I'm going when I put stuff back on the shelf. All the three point five and four stuff is going. Yeah, because. I will either play like old school D and D for the jolly of it, or fifth edition. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, no, I agree. I did have all the forty k rule books from first through to eighth, and and uh, suddenly was like, this is taking up so much room on my bookcase. Am I ever going to go and play four, four, or six again? And why am I keeping this? So I just, got, I just got rid of them. It's literally when this is just, and I have no regrets there on choosing. You just have to choose, you know, to keep stuff that's actually going to be useful for you. So, you know, hey, maybe I'll go through and have a look through my rule sets. I've still got that copy of SPQR. <laughs> so maybe that can go. Yeah, I think that's probably one that could go. Uh, yeah. yeah, but also having a look at things, actually, I don't like this game. Yeah. It can go. I think it's, yeah. it's perfectly... Yeah, you don't have to hoard rule sets just because you've got them. Yeah. Do you? Uh, but I think I, I know I somehow acquired a copy of Black Powder. I think possibly I might have been even a relative might have bought me a copy of Black Powder for Christmas or something when it came out. Yeah. And so, so I probably had a copy of Black Powder for eight years, 
before I even contemplated playing Black Powder. And mm-hmm. so I, I got this random bulk. Because I was playing in 2012, I think, when it came out. I was nowhere near playing any historics. I played 40k all the time. Yeah, 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 same here, yeah. I was like, what do I want this random book for? You know, jump forward nearly a decade. It's really nice to find that. <laughs> I've got the hardback rule book on my shelf. Um, yeah. And, and the same with the, the Dirk's Britanniarum stuff. It's an evergreen game in a way, isn't it? Because you just need Dark Age models to play it. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the list, the army lists are really contained as well. There's really small forces. Um, I've got the, I bought the, I bought it all in one go. So I've got the expansion, so I can play Picts or Scott Eye. You know, so I can have a four forces you can get if you want to play the Irish or something as well. Um, and I played, I played against Neil. Hi Neil. Um, we played it a while ago, and it was good. Uh, but I, I, yeah, we just didn't then take it any further, and I hadn't painted my models and. Because I was just using, I was using Beastmen <laughs> as Romano British. Um, they were wearing, they'd skinned them. They were wearing the pelts. Um, I guess that's part of it. Is that I knew I wasn't using the right models, so I didn't. Maybe we didn't, you know, play it as much as we would. But that's something I wanted to. I want to play and give it a proper go. Well, no, I think I, I've got a whole little section of those Osprey games that I really want to give a go with. I, I think they could well be. Do you mean really two fat lardies? Is it two fat lardies? Ducks Britannia? Ducks Britannia. There's, there's another, there's a Ducks game that is um, Osprey. I was thinking, I've got the Osprey one, which I think yeah. is, they it's are, definitely Ducks something. It's similarly named. Yes. No, dys, dyslexic person can't read the difference. They're both Ducks Britannia in my head. I didn't That's know fun. them. I, I've they basically are very similar games. I've it's got the... Infamy, 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 from Two Fat Lardies, yeah. which is the like Roman game that I would like to play at some point. And I've got some. You've got Romans as well to play, and Celts, haven't you, for playing? Yeah. That. Give that. Yeah. You know, this strange uplit future where we could possibly play games. Yeah. Who? How? A magical land where people can meet and play games. How will a gaming podcast work when we can actually play games? I am actually, I am really, how it's going to, how it's going to change the dynamic of the episode, I don't know. But I am really looking forward to actually giving you guys some battle reports. It was like, I had a game of this and it was fun. Or did it like it? Or it was good? I loved it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing game reviews with you and like, we're going to have to come up with some system for um, what we think of like the models and the game and stuff. What games are we going to review? What we have, exactly. So that's going to be fun. So anyway. talking about the future, shall we move into hobby news? I think so. Hobby news. Quite a few bits of, uh, sort of interesting hobby news, really. You sort of side off in the hobby purchases that Warlord had been doing their sprue sale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's t- as of today, the 26th of April, it's still ongoing. And they are also doing the Starter Army Mega Deals. Yeah. Now, the the Sprue Sale is, for people who are used to the Sprue Sales of old, it is underwhelming. But I think the Sprue Sale of old was ridiculous, I think, from a sales point of view, where, uh, to sort of explain it for the listeners, all Warlord, like, troop boxes are surprisingly just a box of sprues, which are generally the same sprue. 
Yeah. Oh, and what they would do in the sprue sale was they would sell them for a pound. Yeah. So you, if you buy a box of 30 infantry, it's quite often five sprues and possibly a couple of sprues of weapons. So you could buy that £20 box for about £7. Yeah. And they would do a sprue sale every year. And I, I sort of had it on authority that sort of after the last one, their sort of sales of boxed infantry fell through the floor because everybody had bought hundreds of plastic British, plastic Soviets, plastic Germans, plastic Americans, and just didn't buy the boxes because why pay £3 something a sprue when you wait for the sprue sale and you can buy them for a pound? I specifically waited for the sprue sale to buy all my English Civil War Army. Yeah. I, I was like, okay, I'll wait for the sprue sale and then I'll drop £100 on it. And yeah. As much as I can for my £100. Because, yeah. Yeah, this, that makes sense economically for me, financially, like, you know, to get yeah. an army to go like that. Yeah, and they would, I think, like, in the last proper spruce, the last major spruce, I think, they were doing things like Roman legionnaires. You could get a thousand, you can, you can make it a thousand man, 28 mil Roman legion for less than a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, fantastic value. The new one is still quite good value if you need specific things. So, like, the weapon sprues... Rather than being a pound, or like two pounds or two pounds fifty, there's about fifty percent off. But if yeah. you need specific bits and pieces, they're there. And rather than every sprue being available to buy, there are just some sprues. But if you need some bits and pieces to pad out your army, I definitely suggest that you, you give it a look because the, the, things... the best sprue they have is that German mortar that should go in the back of the Hanamag, whichever model it is. Yeah, you could basically get um, a German mortar, like fifty p to a pound, but you probably only need one of those because you probably only have one in your army. Yeah, but they they are a great source of of plastic mortars. Yeah, and if you're not super bothered about you know having exactly the right mortar, really, if you were playing British or Americans or whatever, and you just wanted an actual extra mortar, you could get away with using the mortar itself. Yeah, and then crew it with whatever models that you've got. You know, I don't think that there are not very many people who would pull you up saying, "Excuse me, that's actually like a German medium yeah. mortar." Yeah. Then the other bit of Warlord news that I've got is they've released the plastic Jagdtiger. Oh yeah. Which looks a nice model. It's it, like in the game, the Jagdtiger is rubbish because it's just so points heavy for, for yeah. bolt action, and it, it looks a nice model. From Warlord, but I, I, my personal take on this would be buy the Tamiya 148 one instead. If you're playing a Yag Tiger, you are not playing competitively, so mm-hmm. it being slightly bigger makes no difference. And the the 148 Yag Tiger is a wonderful, wonderful kit to build. And you know, the moaning about the tracks. I was make, making on the Japanese I've made earlier. I've no idea what the tracks are like for the Warlord Jag Tiger, but the Tamiya one, well complicated on the drawing, when you actually go putting them in place, fit perfectly, simply, and it's just a really nice kit to build. I, I would say it, it's almost, it, it would probably be a great kit to jump in to build if you were thinking of making 148 tanks. Yeah. 
and also it's a relatively cheap kit it's probably depending where you get it from it's probably about 20 pounds so it's maybe a little bit cheaper than the, the warlord one but it would definitely be no more expensive i mean I, may, I might have to buy a warlord jag tiger so we can just compare tom probably right that would be quite cool if you want to buy one what i've done for all of my big cats is they're all the 148 ones because mm-hmm. as i said i'm never going to play them competitively and you you know you think of like a, a tiger 2 or a Yag Tiger, Yag Panther, any of these things, an elephant, you think of them as huge. So having them as 148 just, to me, just yeah, looks cool. Makes sense. I mean, it's it's a perennial problem for, for bolt action, is it? The, the bigger the bigger tanks, the, the cost of them, they just aren't, they can't deliver um, for the point spend. For the, well, know. no, because like, bolt action is fundamentally an infantry game. Yeah. And if, you know, the, big, the bigger tanks are easily half the point value of your army. Yeah. And they simply, they aren't, like a Yag Tiger is not good against infantry. It can at most kill an infantry squad a turn. Yeah. And it simply, it, it can't deal enough damage to infantry to make it worth its points value. You, and can, you can buy a light tank for say 80 points that has three MMGs on. And that will just destroy a unit a turn. Yeah. You know, for I don't know how much Jag Tiger is, but you know, I'm pretty sure it's a little bit more than eighty. I would imagine the cheap. I haven't got my rule book on me. I would imagine the cheapest you can probably pick up is probably about four hundred. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you can get like a, a hundred and thirty-five point light tank, which will have you know a light anti-tank gun, a couple of machine guns, and all sorts on, and probably do you more damage to infantry during a game. Yeah. Uh, it's just the the way that the game bolt action works. You know, if you were playing a, a tank killing game, tank the, wars, the tank, tank, yeah. If you were playing tank wars, or or just you know maybe what a tank or anything like that, which, which is tank on tank combat, a Yag Tiger is probably going to be near top tier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess yes. Horses for courses. Yeah, for cats for cat courses. <laughs> so also talking about sprues and talking about. Uh, you had you picked up your Tim starter stuff. Uh, well, that came through. Tim Tim has delivered on another Tim starter. Uh, fantastic load of stuff came through. Big thank you to Annie for helping with that as well. She hope she's doing good. She um she helped Tim out. She thought it was great. So I got some um, stickers and badges from from Bad Squido. So he was going to put together something for. He was going to do another one for War Games Atlantic stuff. Yeah, but he discovered that there's a company already doing it, so he didn't bother. And so the that is a company called WarGamesEmporium.co.uk, and they sell single sprues for a great many uh, manufacturers and that sort of thing. And if uh, people listened to the War of the Roses conversation we had many episodes ago. They you, you can pick up all the individual sprues from Perry Minis to do that. So if you were on your own and wanted to dive in, mm. you can get those specific sprues that you want. And they do GW sprues, Perry sprues, Warlord sprues, everything at uh, quite a decent price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I look there because I, I, for some strange reason, uh, want to do space lizards as well. So, um, you know, I've been thinking, eyeing up the Warlord, Warlords Atlantic um, Lizard Man box, thinking about getting some lizards. 
for uh, Stargrave, obviously. Yeah. Animal Space is our theme. Then a, another website that I found that I had to got a sale on that I quite like to look at is the Geek Villain Wargaming mats. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to be really good, Tom. Which are... Now, they, these seem... I haven't seen one in person, mm-hmm. but they seem to me what might be the perfect sort of like compromise between... I really like the practicality and the function of the gaming mat gaming like the mouse pad style neoprene mm-hmm. ones and but i also really like the look of the teddy bear fur ones yeah but the teddy bear fur ones just i don't think especially in a club environment aren't practical yeah where and also they're not always brilliant for actually having your model stand on mm-hmm. whereas i think these geek villain ones which seem to be printed on some kind of micro fleece yeah just look spot on and they aren't expensive. Because the other dodge with the teddy bear fur ones is that they are a lot of money. Because teddy bear fur itself costs a fortune if, if you want to build your own. Yeah. Whereas these geek villain ones, and these, these this isn't a paid promotion or anything. You know, you're looking at £60 for a 6x4 one. Which, you know, and, and again, if we were looking at it from a, a sort of historic set front really they've got like a farm one which has got tracks a road some fields i could play world war ii you could play greco roman wars you could play yeah. 40k on it if you wanted snaggy world yeah. and i don't think 60 quid for a six by four mat that sounds but, very normal to me for a mat these days 60 pounds seems very yeah. just normal pricing yeah i think i think i probably paid around that for the the mouse mat one Mm-hmm. that I've got I, you know so again I've not seen one in person I just recently came across them and I thought these look lovely yeah and you give me props for stuff that looks cool cool so I've got a few more bits and pieces of, of hobby news but to, maybe people want a break from listening to me waffling on have you got any hobby news Andy I just want to give a big shout out to um hobby support group member benjamin who joined the group and put a post up the other day he's um quite, quite active on the group and um he is trying to persuade us all that we need to do the polionics in 2022 so um thanks benjamin for making me realize i have to spend lots of money on getting some some a napoleonic army together so hopefully in the future i'll be doing um segments on how that project's coming on but i have to get um a few more things done. I think I'm going to buy my Napoleonics at the uh, this year's salute. So I've got time to choose what I'm going to be doing by November. Yeah, I, I think that the current plan we're, we're sort of formulating, isn't it, is, is possibly all coming together at some point in 2022 for, for a, a big battle that's sort of inspired by Leipzig, but it's sort of probably like a fictional battle where we can have, you know, if you go Portuguese, somebody else goes, you know, Brunswick or whatever, they can all yeah. be all be there together and we don't yeah. have to worry about what we're doing. It's, you know, it's, it's a glorious coalition. Exactly. It's just, just playing for fun, really. And who knows, by 2022, you might actually be playing some games, Tom. Can you imagine? That'd be nice. And also, that, that idea of us all building sl- sl- smaller forces 
which then combine together to play a large game, I think has, has much more appeal for me in 28mm because I do not want to have a, a large army in 28mm Napoleonics because I haven't got room for it. And as, as I've learned with my um, English Civil War, storage can be an issue. Well, the 6mm stuff I've painted up for my Waterloo army is the size army I would want to play, really, if I was playing Big Battle mm-hmm. Napoleonics. And just the basic line infantry from that, I've got nearly 600. Yeah. And so if they were in 28mm, not even the cost of buying them or painting them, it's the, it's, it's the thing of storing them. Yeah, it really is. Haven't got the, but I, I am... Very, I am going to do some small forces in 28 mil, and I can see you know, as you know, in six mil, I've got six brigades, yeah. and in 28 mil, I might make one, possibly two, yeah. Because the other advantage I can see of having figures, some painted 28 mil figures, Napoleonic era figures, is there are a couple of games already. That you can play in that you, you've got forager and sharp practice, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And there's a one coming out the end of the year, which is called the Silver Bayonet. Oh yes, which I've sort of heard described as sort of supernatural Napoleonic hijinks, which is based on Frostgrave's core mechanics. Yeah. Again, it's it's written by Joe, so you know Frostgrave, Stargrave. Rangers, uh, we know a, pretty, a good game mechanically. Yeah. And actually, you know, having some painted up figures for that when it comes out will be really nice. You know, who doesn't want some Napoleonic hijinks? Exactly. Who doesn't? Napoleon, maybe. <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that, I think, yeah, that's very true. I, I, I don't want an army that's too big. I think I just want just a a smallish 28 mil. And I think there are key, and we've talked about this, but there are key historical periods, key historical armies. I think everyone should probably think about having so a, like a classical army, English Civil War army, Napoleonic army, certainly, American Civil War army. There's certain, like, just, just seem to be across the board that people like to play. Um, so, you know, I think I, I could be a proper historical gamer once I've got a painted 28 mil Napoleonics army under my belt. Yeah, and I think this would be, again, an, an interesting topic for our, our listeners, so please chip in with this on the Facebook page. But what do you think are the key periods that define sort of what a historical wargaming is mm-hmm. in your period? I would say if I had to pick like a top five as somebody in England, I'd say, number one, you've got World War Two. Mm-hmm. Number two... Uh, number two and three, I think, are interchangeable. You've got the English Civil War and Napoleonics. Yeah. And number four is Viking era, Dark mm. Ages. Yeah. And number five is Romans. Yeah. And I think probably with the Romans, I would imagine, it, again, that's probably a double. I think, you know, World War Two, you've probably got one army. Maybe you might have multiple armies. English Civil War, Napoleonics, you've maybe just got the one army. I think Dark Ages and Romans, specifically Ancients, you've probably got a Roman army 
and someone that they would fight against. Yeah. So you might have Romans Celts, you might have Romans Parthians. Whatever they were, they were, I would say, would be my top five. What about yourself, Andy? I mean, yeah, if you're looking just sort of based here, sort of in the British Isles, for certain, that's the, I think, but certainly ever in, in, uh, in North America, you have to start looking at American Civil War would come in quite high there. Yeah. As well. Completely. But, like, maybe War I, of the Roses and stuff, maybe higher or lower. I don't. Because, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm kind of new to historicals i was always as you said always a 40k player but um i think you pretty sounds like a pretty correct list to me but i'd like to yeah maybe we should do a poll on the facebook group and see what people say yeah i'd be much more interested in like does if you're living in continental europe is 30 years war something that you play yeah. you know, if, if you're in sweden it's like the great northern war, great northern so, war yeah. think, something yeah. that's played or is it still because so many of the rules and the models are made really in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Is it is it still a much more a, a British centric? It's time we talked about the the elephant in the room. Yes, uh, I think we saw time we talked about cursed city. Yes, and now our, our retraction our from accurate, the last accurate. Our prediction was everyone was calm. No, there was no panic buying. I mean, I'm sure if you play a clip now, Tom. It was it'll be about us talking about how it's limited release, right? Yeah. It, through the power of the imagination, people can refer back to episode th- 12 and 13 when we were talking about Curse City and how it was going to be part of the, the, the standard product range going forward. So that I didn't have to buy it now because I can buy it in the future when I wanted it. And I thought I'd, I quite liked it, but I didn't want it this year. I'd pick it up maybe next year. It was a good deal and all of this sort of a thing. And it was so calm and relaxed. I know that's the case, Tom. And we can just, you know, wait till we have the money available, save up for it maybe for a year and then pick it up. And that's yeah. what happened, right? No, it's, it appears we lied. Um, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, for... A variety of reasons, it seems it's gone, and it's definitely not coming back on the web store. Mm-hmm. Now, there seems to be this, as again, we're recording this on the 26th of April, and this is like an ongoing breaking story where something seems to come out new every day. Yeah. At the moment, as I understand it, it says it's not definitely not coming back on the web store. It may come back as like a, a brick and mortar store exclusive. Mm-hmm. It could be to how some of the Warhammer World exclusive stuff works. Yeah. But there are some boxes you can only buy from Warhammer World. Or it could simply be they will send it to the shops. If you want to buy it, you have to walk into a shop to get it. To get some more footfall in the shops. Because they have done models you can only pick up at um, in stores when it's like their anniversary or store opening. So there is a history of there being limited models you can only get in stores on certain days. Yeah. Uh, but it, it also, I don't know, and I don't think there's any information out yet, if there are going to be printing more copies of it to go into stores. And so, you know, in theory you can always pick up a copy if you go into a store or if it's going to be we have a a finite amount of copies these copies are going to go to stores 
and then that's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, the truth is, Tom, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, we're and... guessing on what's going to happen. And, you know, we've been wrong before. And I, I guarantee we'll be wrong again. Um, but, um, yeah, watch this space, see what's happening of Cursed City. I've, I've specifically went and got those bats and those rats because I think they'd be really good for Zone Alpha. But um, if there's a model you can't live without on the set, I suggest you go and look at some resellers now to get yourself one because who knows when... Yeah, I would say if there is a specific model that you want or you think you need to add to your collection, get it now. Because I think it's it's quite likely, I think that it's going to be gone, it's gone. Listener questions. Hey Tom, so this uh, this episode is listener question. I was uh, I met up for a very socially distanced outside meeting with one of our listeners. Uh, hi Monk from Googly Eyed Skull, and he had a different view on. I call it my cupboard of shame, pile of shame, and he said actually it's a you know it's a cupboard of opportunity, and that we shouldn't be so negative about um, what we have in our, our pile because he said it's just. An opportunity. It's different things you can go to, and he is very much. If you've seen some of his his work, is um, Alpha Legion Dreadnought. He converted. Looks incredible. And having that resource of all these different parts for him as a as a modeler is fantastic. So he he feels that we're being too negative on ourselves, calling it a pile of shame, and we should be a bit more positive about it. And what do you think about that, Tom? I think it's. I don't think it's good to be negative about any part of your life really unless there's something negative in your life then be sure it's negative about that but i think if it's part of your life that you enjoy to be negative about it i don't think is is a good way to live yeah in, in, in the loftiest sort of ways i don't like personally the sort of the idea of having a pile of shame and thinking of it as a pile of shame because i'm not ashamed of it and i to me the idea of having a pile of shame makes it feel quite nefarious and i would equate that to then you know you're sneaking things in and like being sort of duplicitous about it and sort of you're either lying to yourself or more likely to like your significant others or that about what you're, you're sort of buying and being quite underhand and nefarious about it. and i don't think that is a good way to have any aspect of your life running and definitely not your hobby and at no point do I think I, I have done anything shameful to add to my pile of stuff. Yeah. And I think if, if you know, if this is a pile of shame, if you I didn't pay this week's rent because I pre-ordered this new Dreadnought or, or I should have bought my kid a birthday present, but I didn't because I spent it all on, a new air compressor or something for my airbrush. That is the sort of thing I would see as being warranting the term shame, not this is just a load of stuff I've bought. Yeah. Over time. I um I have a friend who deals with you know addiction. And when I was saying about oh I'm gonna sneak this in um past the wife, he's like that sounds that's like the early that sounds like the early stages of addiction you've got there that you're trying to hide from your wife from your significant other some activity that you are doing why are you trying to hide it 
you know, if you can spend the money, why can't you be honest with your partner about where you're spending your money and what you're doing? And obviously he was at that point just trying to wind me up, but it did get me thinking, you know, you do need to think about what your motivation, if you are ashamed that you are spending this money on this thing and not telling your partner you're doing it, there's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I know I definitely fall into the camp of when I'm stressed, when I'm sad, I buy things to feel better. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally the same, Tom. And doing the bi-weekly hobby purchase segment, I have found has really helped me not just buy things, because buying this tank will make me feel better because I own it. And then I, I'm lucky in that I then don't feel guilty that I've bought it, so I then buy something else to cover up that thing of being having bought it, but I am trying, and I'm succeeding in some ways, in sort of getting the emotional hit of completing something rather than just purchasing something new to get over it. And that is where I am now looking at sort of like my collection of stuff as, you know, as an, it's an opportunity and it's all stuff that has the potential to make me feel better and make me feel happy when I play with it and build it and paint it. And again, with sort of a specific reference to sort of like Monk's question and thoughts, I think it sort of like splits a little bit here between the modelers and the gamers and kit bashers. Yes, that definitely. Yeah. And I think like if you're into kit bashing and like, coming up with custom unique things then definitely the more stuff that you've got the better it is because you can do more and more ad, you know, adventurous and crazy kick combinations and also you know i've got this bit from like a 1987 chaos dreadnought that i'm going to put on this forge world rhino and you can mix all those things together and you can come up with truly original creative things you know the more stuff you've got the, the more tapestry you've got to play with but i think if you are again like if you're building a yak tiger you can only build bits you can only add bits to it from the yak tiger kit you yeah. can't go well i'm going to put a, a hexa turret on my yak tiger because then it's not a yak tiger it's it doesn't exist it's nothing yeah and i think there is maybe even since since lockdown started last year i think there is an explosion of people who might normally have been in the the one camp who are like branching out into the other. I think you've got things like Turnip 28, which is Kit Bash Napoleonics, people who, who don't understand it. There is like a growing fluff and world around it, but the idea is really it's it started out as Grimdark Napoleonics and sort of, you know, think of Napoleonic line infantry, but they've all been taken over by strange root vegetables, so they're all tendly and rooty it's it's quite a cool aesthetic and it i can see why people enjoy it and that's quite often things like mixing you know perry napoleonic kits with the war of the roses helms yeah that sort of stuff i think really you know it's the sci-fi and fantasy which allow things to sort of really go hog wild and that's where i would say you know the more kits you've got the better because it doesn't matter if, if i've got this kit of ogrins and I use all the Ogryn legs on something else. It doesn't really matter that you've then got a load of Ogryn torsos left because 
you can use all those torsos for something else. Whereas if you're yeah. a historics player and you end up left with a load of mid-war US Marine smock torsos, you don't really can't really put them on like Russian legs or German yeah. arms. You know, it just doesn't work. Whereas if you kit bashing, you know, your imagination is yeah, what you can do. Is it, yeah. Do I see it as if you're kit bashing, your your pile is a tool that you can use. Yeah. But if I'm if I was spending loads of money on tools for fixing cars, but I never fix cars, it'd be a waste of money. You know, yeah. having a tool that I'm not going to use is, is no help to me. I think in the hobby sphere, I think a good thing of that is maybe one removed from models is people buying board games. I, I know an awful lot of people who have thousands of pounds worth of board games which they've never played yeah. because you know they want the game they buy it they never play it they then buy another game that they want to play and then by the time they actually get a chance to play a game they've got half a dozen games that they want to play and so they pick one of them and so multiples of they have multiple games still in either still in the cellophane or unpunched and unplayed yeah and i know i've got Probably, I'm looking at my game collection now. I've probably got four games that I've not played yet, and I but, think that. But armies I've not played with Tom. But I mean, it's been locked down, so I've yeah. got a lot of models I haven't played with. But um... I think something else to think about with model kits and, and hobbying as well in general. I think is it's also stuff that it's in a way evergreen. If you've got a model kit, there is going to be no point in the future when you can't build, paint, and enjoy that model kit. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have to build... If you enjoy building model aeroplanes and you've got a cupboard of 50 model aeroplanes to build, it doesn't matter at all if you only build six model aeroplanes a year and you go, oh, I've got 12 years' worth of aeroplane stock here. As long as you are can afford it, you've got room for it and it's not having any other negative impacts on your life. It's not a problem. Yeah. You, you, Cause like the one that you bought in 1973 and are now getting around to building, if you enjoy building it, painting it and going, this is cool. Then there's no problem. I think, I think as individuals, it's, it's down to us to have a look at our own. You can't draw a hard and fast cause hard and fast rule because it, you know, we're all different, we all have different situations, different environments, different needs, different relationships, different places in our life we're at. Uh, you just need to have a look at what you have and say to yourself honestly, like, is this getting out of control? Yeah. Is getting a hand? Why am I from hiding it from my partner? Why am I hiding it from my partner? You know, yeah. I try, I try, I've, you know, I, I let my wife know everything I buy now. So do I. Is, I think, like, yeah. on, on the model aeroplane front, if you build six model aeroplanes a year, and you've got 600 model aeroplanes in the room. Yeah. Then, you know, if, if you... I think there's probably a fine line between collecting model kits and that sort of thing and hoarding them. Yeah. And I know... I think I probably took a step back when I... Last year, when I did my oval list and came up with everything, I think I was on the verge of much more and I did class, had to class myself as a hoarder. Yeah, uh, I think I sort of took a step back. It definitely 
with the stuff I've been building up, has sort of cut that down. Whereas I know we have mutual friends who would happily, I think, describe themselves as hoarders. Yeah, we saw photos of giant storage bins just full of bits and models and stuff, didn't we? Yeah. Our friend, and I, I can't imagine being in that situation because I, I couldn't fit it in my house, let alone. No. It's not like you have to win the lottery to sort of go down that route. Like yeah. if you definitely, obviously, you need some disposable income. But if you buy two boxes a month and only paint one of them, you know, over 30 years, that's a lot of boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get, you know, you get secondhand deals. eBay's always there. I found out a really good way to save money on eBay, Tom. Not going it. That's the one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so easy to do. You can, you know, if you want to. Some of you will know that I, a long time ago, I used to do a um, my own little blog, and it was all about me. Clean Slate Challenge. I was going to paint every single model I owned before I painted anything. And I did it, Tom. I painted everything. But then the, re- the release, the, like, of like, ah, oh, I can go and buy models again. I bought just as many over the coming months as I had before I started. Just yeah. the excitement of being out of oh, I just went crazy. And I was like, it was like, and now I'm doing it for a second time, <laughs> paying everything I own, I'm trying to. But, you know, now it, the excitement of going and buying the models, I'm like, I didn't say I couldn't buy any new models. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. Let's say just be more sensible and more restrained in what I do. I think it's, it's being, being what works for you. Like, I personally don't think that, like, the total abstinence rule works of like, I'm not buying anything for six months because I would imagine then after six months, the ability is then is then just to like splurge and go yeah. and buy loads. And like on a, a micro scale this year, I've been averaging like nearly a hundred pound a month. This April I said, right, I'm only want to spend 15 quid, but I'm also very mindful that I do not now want to spend 200 pound in May to make up for, I didn't buy very much last month, I'll allow myself to buy more this month. Yeah. Because we, we you know, to not like keep banging on about this point in every episode, but, you know, the amount of disposable income people have for hobbying will be vastly different. Yeah. Because like this, this, this month, I bought those two Warlord books because they were half price. If they weren't half price, I wouldn't have bought them. And I would have, I'd actually be on like 50 quid rather than 85 quid you know i'd be on less money because i would have not bought those books but because it was half price it's sometimes an opportunity comes along and you go i need to take advantage of that but i would i would also say if you find you're finding one every week that you just have to buy then something's gone horribly wrong somewhere or you're very lucky i guess i find it really useful in putting boundaries on what you buy and thinking like especially with rule sets because then you, if you go down the roof right I really like playing Ancients. I'm going to buy all the Ancients rule sets so I can play all the games. I think that way ruin and madness goes because you, you can't play all the games. Yeah. And rule sets aren't cheap. And I think if, if you're playing eight Ancients rule sets at the same time, it's going to be absolutely horrendous trying to remember the rules. Yeah. And, and you'll find you play one rule set and you like it, so that will be the one you play. Listeners to Meeples and Miniatures will have heard of Hobby Dilution, where, okay, I'm playing an Ancients game. Do I need another five Ancients games, or am I just diluting my enjoyment of Ancient games by trying to play these other games I'm not even enjoying as much? Just find the one you like and stick with that. 
if you find a, a, a naval combat game you like, play that one. You know, don't try and play all the systems because you just end up diluting your enjoyment of the game. Yep, uh, I'm in, in complete agreement. You asked a question on a, a small scale gaming group, didn't you? What rules people play yeah, six mil Napoleonics in? And uh, what? how many rule sets did you oh, come out with? Like 40. It was, it was crazy. I was like, you know, so many. And n- none of them had more than like three people vote for them. Yeah. It was, a real, it was a real scattershot, like loads of different systems. And not one was like, this is the one we play. Yeah. And if you were to buy half of those, you're looking at thousands, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't play that many. No. You wouldn't have the time. Find what you enjoy and, and stick to it, I think, is, is a good mantra. If you haven't played a game yet at all, do you need to start buying all the expansions? Oh, and I feel you that as well. Yeah, you're right. A lot of add-ons for books and rule sets just give people who play the game a lot more stuff to do for stuff that they've become bored of because they've been playing it to death. Yeah. If you don't play that game very much, then... The 12 missions in the book are plenty for you. You don't need more missions because you haven't played each of those missions 50 times. If you've been playing the same game for 10 years and it's got six missions, you probably would quite like some new missions. Yeah. And, and the campaign books and stuff, you know, if you are just have a love of North Africa, then fine, pick that one up. But you don't, if, you, if you love North Africa in World War II, you don't have to get the one about, you know, the war in the in the Far East. So I uh, I hope that answered your question, Monk. Yes. <laughs> About calling it a pile of shame or pile of opportunity. On a bit of a tangent there. It's not like us. Uh, we... <laughs> um, but um, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on the group. If anyone has any thoughts, then let us know. I mean, there was a there was a time in my life when I never thought I'd play any other game except 40k. That's what I played. And at the moment, I'm loving bolt action. You know, in 10 years' time, who knows? There could be another game, and I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I didn't play French-Indian War all the time. This is amazing. I don't know. Could happen. Yeah, and giving yourself, you know, we're people. We like to grow and change. Giving ourselves space to do that is vital. Yeah, definitely. I I have on good authority that a lot of you really enjoy our tangents. They're the best bit of the show. So hopefully you enjoyed that one. Oh, good. And now the main segment. The main segment. So I've come up with 10 things I love about the hobby. I'm looking forward to hearing them. I hope it'd be quite nice to go go through them with you and sort of get your thoughts. And I'm not saying these are the ultimate 10 things, but I just sat down and was like trying to work out what are the 10 things that I like about the hobby. So I tried to make a little list of, of what the things are that I really enjoy. If you want to listen at home and see if you agree or let us know if you think there's any more that I should have on there, then, then do let us know on the Facebook page. But um, number one, Tom, planning. I love planning things. Whether it's going to be a hobby purchase, whether it's what, what armies, like army building, thinking, you know, planning colour schemes. I I'm the kind of person that likes to have a little book and make little notes about things and make an oval list if you're planning what I'm going to paint. Um, so for me, a really big part of the hobby is just planning my projects. 
I don't know how you feel about that. I would say it's probably the one area of hobbying which I spend the most in. You know, drawing yeah. up army lists, learning either, you know, used to be maybe the fluff of background for a game or a faction. You know, now the history for a historical game or, you know, the myriad other bits of learning that we apply when hobbying. I find that sort of the planning and the, the sort of the mental stimulation that goes on in the background are just so rewarding. And yeah. if I had, if I spent 10 minutes rolling dice for every hour I spend building army lists or looking at rules and that sort of stuff or working out how to gain things, I would play an awful lot more games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like, if I, if I was to wear up all the different things I do in the hobby from painting models, playing games, buying models, like, planning must be the number one on that list sure like it is number one on my list okay. it was the first thing i thought of. what do i really like i like yeah. planning building the hypothetical shopping cart of things that you're going to buy um, yeah it, yeah that's i think by far and away my number one played game yeah i mean i like uh, city recently i was going through the models because we now know it's going to be obviously more limited than we thought it was i went through and planned or looking at what they're going for how much i want them which ones am i going to buy which which am i definitely going to have to get which am i going to go no i'm not going to get those it's fine i'll let them let them pass even that was planning yeah you know, what models am i going to get even, even i guess some part when you're building models as well you're planning what loadout of weapons they're going to have so okay if i use this weapon it might mean that i can't have this weapon over here because you might have to share arms or something so even that's planning well yeah i, I would say un under the umbrella term planning really it's so many intrinsic differences you know if, if you're building models there's quite a lot of planning goes into making sure you've got everything you need for when you build them you know from playing have i got them have i got the models have i got the bases have i got the correct tools to build the models have i got the right paint to paint them all these sorts of things all come in to planning and i would imagine none of us really quite appreciate how much planning goes into something for example i was buying tanks for my dac and i was like well okay what tanks were in the desert and then finding out of you know panzer threes and then choosing the right panzer three for the year i was trying to emulate with my army you know it's not just you know go get a tank you then when we even when you it's not just go and get a tank, but even when you get a tank, it's the slight modifications to maybe to the engine or something that you don't know you're going to be choosing when you start assembling. You know, even that there's a planning to that as well. Yeah, I was building a, a Captain Stewart for my Japanese mm -hmm. at the weekend, and I was having to look through. I decided, oh, am I putting the whole machine guns in or not? I ended up sort of looking through archive photographs to try and find photographs of the Japanese with the captured Stuart to decide how I was going to build it. Did they have machine guns? They had both. So, of course, it's got the machine guns. Nice. Um. <laughs> so, planning is number one, and that's a solo activity for me. But actually, the next biggest one, and probably, I think, one of the most important ones, really, is community. Oh, 100% uh, agree. I mean, we, we play at the Hackney Area Tabletop Enthusiasts, and sometimes I go and play and drink a beer, and sometimes I just go and drink a beer, and I just go down to hang out and be with friends 
and have conversations about games or history. I have no interest in football. Sorry, everyone, I have no interest in football, Tom, but I imagine this must be what it's like for people who have an interest in football who just go to pubs normally and just chat to people about football because I can go along and have a conversation about Panthers or or some sort of um, Viking history or um, or 40K, whatever it might be. You know, I can meet up with like-minded people. We have discussions about games, what's coming out, what we're working on, and that's just one tiny bit of the community. I mean, the online community, we have this podcast, the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group, everyone. Um, the community, is just, it just is such a huge huge envelope isn't it oh completely so i'm seeing a therapist and one of the um things that they wanted me to think about was what was a, a social activity that i could do that i didn't hate the idea of and i came up with the idea i said playing D. so next week i went along and they had printed off a thing about the london dungeons and dragons meetup group which had several open games every saturday or sunday mm. Uh, so I went along to Elephant and Castle, enjoyed myself, and played D&D week in, week out for a couple of years until that group, the, that whole club got really super busy to the point that we were playing D&D in the Bear Garden in the middle of winter. And it was a bit chilly. Um, and some people at the, uh, the meetup started playing 40k. Mm-hmm. And I'd played 40k before, as I'm sure a great many of our listeners had, but I'd sort of dropped off as a later teen. And so I picked it back up again, and I, I joined the club in Dagenham. And I would then go off to Dagenham on a Sunday to play 40k. And it was only then, after probably a couple of years, maybe three years of going to Dagenham quite regularly to play 40k, that I found out about Hackney Area Tabletop Enthusiasts, went along to one of their nights in Islington before they'd moved to Bethnal Green, and I've been a hate member ever since. And now almost my entire friend group is made up of people I've met via gaming. Yeah, yeah, similar, uh, similar to me, mate. I mean, we technically first met at the Overlords, although we didn't know we weren't really particularly hanging out together there. We, we, we both saw each other there playing. And it was only really a hate that we really became good friends. Yeah, uh, it's just, yeah. It's just a, a way to, to to meet people and have you know, build build this community that we have. And I think there's such goodwill that extends beyond just your friends that you know. I feel I could reach out to any games club. Any if there's a games club in India or a games club somewhere in America. If I was in Idaho or something, and there was a games club. I feel I could go. Hey, gamers. Can I come and join in? They'd be like, yeah, of course you can. You know, they'd well, be excited to have a fellow gamer come and visit from London. You know, they'd be like, bring us some Forge World from the bins, but, you know, <laughs> come over. I think that is a, sort of a, a part of us, though, as sort of social animals. You know, the sort of, without going too uh, sort of psychological or philosophical on it, gaming is really like, it, it's a perfect medium to facilitate play between us as adults mm-hmm. and you know play and, and, and in this case of gaming it, it boosts your energy and you know, it, it combats stress and it's a, a fantastic source of endorphins yeah you know, they're, they're sort of like the chemicals that our, our bodies produce that sort of 
relieve stress and pain and you know it can sort of like gaming can improve like brain function and you know help combat stress and depression that's sort of thing. so yeah. just playing a game even with a stranger can quite literally make you feel much better both mentally and physically yeah for sure because it, it's hard to make friends as an adult it's hard to make friends when you're a kid you go to the park who's in the park you're now my friend we'll play together but as an adult it's it's a lot harder to make friends at least it was always for me and it gives you that like pre-arranged agreement these you, you both know the rules of the game this is how we're gonna have a social engagement and you have a game and you go like actually you're right I'm happy to talk to you and hang out with you, not playing a game. Yeah. There's other I, people I meet that I don't always feel that way about. But, you definitely. Know, I, I, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if you're rocking up to play a game and, you know, you know you're going to be spending two and a half hours of, you know, my goblin snipes at your kobold with his mind lasers, mm-hmm. you know, if that's the sort of thing that you're into, then, you you know... You're going to stand a far better chance of being into that sort of sharing like-minded time space mm-hmm. with people rather than, you know, the person who happens to be in the cubicle at work opposite you might well not be, you know, in the mood for a chat about the God Emperor of June at lunchtime. Yeah. Whereas if you're playing 40K, they might well be happy to chat about Sandworms. Yeah, as you try and explain why God Emperor of June is June, God Emperor of June is just like Love Island. So, um, the spice is kind of like the Bachelorette's rose. Um, yeah. So yeah, community is huge, and I mean it stretches from internet to like YouTube. Um, I like a, a, a YouTube channel. I like like Tabletop Minions or. Uh, Little Wars TV, or a uh, really, really great one, I'd recommend everyone to go and check. It's a UK one, is the Plastic Crack Podcast. Um, go and check out their videos. And they, it's just four guys chatting while they hobby. And I just sit and do hobby and watch them. It's perfect. It's perfect. And so every Monday night, go and check it out, guys. It's my recommendation. Yeah, that's community, Tom. I feel like I could talk for another hour about it, but I don't think we'd say much more. That isn't too obvious to everyone listening at home. No, I agree. I think you know. So from community to, uh, to uh, number two to number three, and this might not be as an important one, but I put scales, and I don't mean like on lizards or even for weighing in the kitchen. I like the fact there are so many different scales um, for miniature games because it allows such variety of play. It lets you think in a very, it's a very different style of play for a skirmish warband of four or five, six models to, you know, a huge sweeping Napoleonic six mil to uh, two mil game. And you can play warships or you can do the larger scale and just have like, like two guys on, I, you know, it, it, that range of scales lets for such different and exciting game styles i think it's wonderful that you can have these you know you haven't got to go okay well it has to be 28 mil every single thing has to be 28 mil it's like it's not fixed into that one scale you can do all different kinds of sizes and um for me i think that's a real a real advantage in hobbying and 
four types of game. I, again, in, in complete agreement with it, I think by playing around with scale, it allows you to sort of really explore your creativity. Mm-hmm. And it allows, you know, on a mic, if you're playing on a micro scale, like, you know, if you're playing on two mil or three mil, you know, you're, you're not playing really with miniatures, you're playing with little blobs. But you can go, you know, this Macedonian phalanx represents a thousand men and from six feet away, it possibly could be a thousand men if they were three miles away. Yeah. And uh, whereas, you know, and likewise, if you're playing with big 75 mil figures, you might have two. And these are, well, these are two gladiators in an arena fighting one on one. That'd be great. And, you know, it also, that's what the different scale in game, as you were sort of t- talking from you know, a, a skirmish game to a great big sweeping game, you could have something like, the portable war game which you know meant to be played on like a 10 by 10 or a 9 by 9 squared board you, know, you could quite easily play that game on a, a chessboard mm-hmm. and you could play everything on it from you know ancients to napoleonic to world war ii to the far future on a chessboard you know, that encompasses gaming but so does the complete battle of waterloo played on 50 tables that cover a hundred meters, you know, yeah. at, at scale with hundreds of people moving the figures around. Number four, item on your hobby list. I like immersion. I, I'm reading a history book or I'm playing a game. I just like how it can take me away from what I'm thinking about. And, you know, I can just be playing that game and I'm just thinking about the game. Yep. And, Sometimes I'm playing, I'm like, I'm going to win this game. I really want to win. And sometimes I'm like, I don't care. I, in fact, I used, to have an, I used to have a group with my friend James. Hi, James. James Little How you doing, buddy? Um, when we played, like, every other game, I, one game I'd play to win, and the next game I'd just play, and I'd just play so it was fun. <laughs> it's like, which, which one is this? Just the fun one or the one I'm going to try and win? And so, I, you know, if, if it got to a chance, like, you could go and do this. And try and win the game, or you can go and do this, which sounds like much more in character and a lot more fun. Orcs wouldn't do that. Orcs would charge that unit, even though they die and like get shot down. Yeah, but just letting yourself get lost in the moment of playing the game and just like just really enjoying, it, you know, giving that cheer. You know, when you 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 roll that dice, you get that six. You know, I've I've been at tournaments and my partisans, and amazingly, when their bombs actually do go off, which happens more than you think they would. Like just cheering is like a ta- it blew up a tank. I can't believe it blew up a tank. I'm getting really excited that that happened, you know. And just a good for for good or bad, you sort of end up cheering the dice rolls. That's a real visceral emotion you feel when you get those dice rolls. It's those little victories in every game that is, is what counts, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you know if you're playing a victory point game and you're losing ten nil. But you finally then get that one unit and, you know, it will be as sweet as if you won, if you lost 9-0. You know, or it could even be better than a win. Yeah. I, I know sort of one of my fondest gaming memories is a game, that a kill point game that I drew when I was playing with 16 units and they mm. had seven. Uh-huh. And... You know, they it was a, a a bolt action game. They had a tiger. The only anti tank I had was some anti tank rifles, and I oh, managed to 
I managed to draw that game, and it was like my my yeah. fondest gaming memory. It's you know that that drawing that game to me more than winning events. Yeah, a winning a winning draw, as they'd say. Yeah, yeah. just. Because yeah, you go to a tournament, you play games, you know, and you don't remember every dice roll, but there will be dice rolls that I can't believe. Like, I remember playing as a tournament, I think it was 40k, and I remember, I remember playing against Necrons and the guy failing the two leadership checks. Like, and, and both the units running off the both of the units dying. You rolled like 11 and you rolled a 12, and it was like, if that hadn't happened, he would have won the game. Like one was a draw, the other one won me the game. And it's like in the last turn, how do you roll an eleven and a twelve? It's just ridiculous. But I'll remember how, how pleased I was <laughs> when that happened. Like I can't believe that just happened. Uh, I, uh, I've, been, I've been, I've been at the other end of that in a tournament. I would have done really, really well in a tournament if. On a, uh, a foo bar, I'd have just rolled enough for them to go down because they were on the objective. Uh, but I rolled the 12 and they ran away. Ooh. Sorry, Tom. I was like, no. On the other side, it was really funny. But, you know, just, just letting yourself forget your worries, get into a game, play the game, have fun. You know, I just, I just think, you know, just losing yourself in the moment can be wonderful. Which, yeah. It kind of brings me on to number five, which I've, I call the hobby zone. And the hobby zone is, is, is something in my head that I kind of go into when I'm hobbying. And I can't tell you if I've been hobbying for 20 minutes or an hour. It's like focused meditation where I am just, I'm just hobbying. I'm not thinking about anything else. I am just getting models done. And it's like the, I am consumed by the muse. The muse might be, you know, painting a Stuart tank, but rather than the Mona Lisa, but I am in that moment just, I'm just hobbying. And I think that's such a healthy thing to have from a hobby. You know, some people get that from going fishing. You know, they go fishing, they cast out, they're just watching that float and they're thinking about nothing else. And they're happy as Larry, sat in a river, sat by the river in the rain, a cup of tea watching a float. That works for them. For me, it's just, you know, maybe I'm building a model, maybe I'm painting a model, but I am just, I'm just hobbying. And that's all I'm doing. No, I, I, I know for me, I think what you just said about it being like a kind of meditation, or something that I, I think is a really good way of putting it. I know my own mental well-being is negatively impacted if I don't have some time, at least... If I've gone more than a week without doing any hobbying, I definitely feel it. And that sort of just sitting at my hobby desk, like doesn't matter what I'm doing, I normally put a, I'll put my headphones on, listen to a, a podcast or some music, and as you said, just sort of almost sort of zone out, doing whatever it is I'm doing. I could, I could be you know, snipping off and filing the edges of bases all day, so I've got enough to do an army. It doesn't really matter whatever the task I'm doing, if I'm painting, building, whatever. It just relaxes me, chills me out, and it in some way it almost sort of feels like it sort of like recenters me, and it sort of just yeah. chills me out. And it, it is, you know, it's my happy place, I suppose. I go away, and when I come back, I'm a better person. Definitely. Like you know, you all need 
in the words of Chicago, in the words of Chicago, everybody needs a little time away from the ones that they love. Um, you just need time to yourself, and that's a very healthy thing to say. No, I need some time to me to do something I love and not worry about other things. Now, I'm not saying you need to do that every single night. If you're in a, you know, you need to obviously everything in moderation. But um, you know, I try and do a little bit of hobby whenever I can. That's how I get through projects so quickly. But not at the detriment of other things. But I just, yeah, just it's just a really good thing to do. Just to give yourself a little time. Yeah, and I think it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, you know, a whole day at the weekend. You have to like sequester yourself away. It can be sometimes, you know, I might do it. Well, you know, my wife's watching an episode of a TV show I don't want to watch, or you know, I'm waiting for the yeah, pasta for dinner too, to boil. Me too, Tom. Me too. Like, I should be watching Call the Midwife or something, and I'd be like, you know, what? I'm going to paint Romano British while you're doing that. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, you know, it's just 45 minutes. Yeah, you know, I can quite happily sometimes just sit down for 10 minutes while I'm waiting for a pan of pasta to boil. And yeah. it's it's just, you know, sit down, right, 10 minutes, I listen to two songs, done, fine. With this hobby, there's lots of things, little steps you can do. And it definitely helps you get closer to the end, just doing little things here and there. So that's always really good. Yeah, and that's what that's what I'm doing at the moment with this Napoleonic British Army that I'm painting. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not particularly well at the minute, physically, I'm finding it difficult to paint in long scenes of time painting it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just doing 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And yeah. it's slowly ticking along. Yeah. And it, it's surprising how 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, get stuff done in a week. When you think, well, those 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know, you've done several hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, number six, we're we're rocketing through this list here. Number six, learning. (laughs) Learning stuff. Um, I have learned so much about World War II since getting into bolt action. And I mean, there's nothing wrong. I, I, I think I said before, I was a big 40K player. So I learned loads of the fluff about, um, you know, 40k universe but the thing for me about you know when you learn the fluff of bolt action is you actually learn something you can use outside of the game like an actual knowledge of like what was the september campaign now i know you know what exactly happened in narvik why was narvik so important as a port you know it's so much you can learn historically and there's nothing to say there's nothing wrong with learning the the fluff of fantasy or science fiction games that's what you like just going off, I'll just go and get books and I'll just start reading about, you know, the Dutch in in Java. <laughs> I would have never have thought I would go and pick up a history book. You know, I picked up an Osprey book about it to read about it because I'm obviously doing a little bit of work on an army for those guys. And it's just, yeah, it just inspires me to learn more about things. And I can't, I can't help but feel that that's a really mm-hmm. good thing. No, I... I... Of course, it can't be a bad thing, can it? Learning. <laughs> Learning is great. Now, if, if if you're interested, if you're one of those people who is interested in learning things, this hobby is a, a fantastic avenue because there are, there are so many things you can learn. Mm-hmm. And it's a... Even if, we look, if we're talking about World War II, there's always more things you can learn about World War II 
but also even if you think, well, I have no interest in World War II, I'm not interested in anything modern, you know, you could spend a lifetime reading about the French-Indian Wars mm-hmm. and never read everything about them. Yeah. But there's also so much more. So you've read about the battles, you've read about the people, you've read about the weapons, the tactics, all this sort of thing. You can then sort of, when you start gaming it and you start building and painting them, which you go, right, what were the uniforms like? Yeah. How, how did they look? What were they? What were they? You know, looking at Napoleonics, you know, we've both spent quite a bit of time recently looking at the colour of like cuffs and lapels and um, collars. I never thought I'd be so, yes, studying Prussian. Prussian cuffs. It sounds like, uh, yeah, madness. But yeah, you're right. Um, and, and, you know, the learning things and how you dis- you learn things and you go, oh, it sort of seeps into useful things during the your your day to day lives. If if you have you now, if you're interested in you know European historical gaming, you will end up with a rough idea of European geography. There's probably just you know if you know World War Two, you probably know you know the Battle for France geography, and then you'll know Barbarossa geography. Yeah. If you're in Napoleonics, you know what it's like, which is the German campaign, you know, I know where Leipzig is roughly and like what's in the peninsula or where Salamanca, all these sorts of things. And that's all sorts of which is, I find much more useful, really, than knowing like how many light years is, uh, you know, Fenris from Terra and that sort of stuff. And who is the third captain of the Lunar Wolves? Not to say that there's anything at all wrong in learning fluff for a 40k or any fantasy game, because, you know, there's no difference really between learning the fluff for Space Wolves and knowing, like, did in Norse mythology, did Thor have, like, a magic belt, hammer and booties, or, like, shorts, hammer and booties? You know, what was his magic items? And, you know, what was the name of his goat? It's an all stuff. You know, it's. You know, it's not these sorts of things that you could do. But then if you decide, oh, I'm going to do some Norse thing. Oh, I'm at, what can, like, I'm going to have Thor in it. What could I do that sort of makes my Thor a little bit different? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to put his goat chariot in there. Nice. Or, you know, oh, what if I want his, you know, maybe he's off to go and get his wife some new hair from the dwarves. Mm-hmm. The, these kind of things which, which you can learn and then bring into your gaming and hobbying to sort of, Make yeah. it a bit more pleasant. Everybody knows what Thor is, but how do you put your own spin on Thor with what you've learned about him? I mean, I have never had anyone ask me a question about 40k in a pub quiz. But I have lots of history questions come up in pub quizzes that I have. I know I have learned from studying, like from game stuff that I have learned. But it's not just learning stuff from um, history books. It's learning new skills and, and, and different methods of hobbying as well. Oh yeah, because yeah, because you you have yeah, you know, there is all the different kinds of hobbying. You know, di- di- if you're using metal, if you're using resin, and that, and then that doesn't even include painting. A skill set that's you're constantly growing. I, I'm constantly reading and finding out new things to apply to. Sort of, oh, of course, you know those skill sets. Is my painting as good as it was twenty years ago? No, I'm much. I think personally, I'm much better than I was twenty years ago. How have I done that? By learning, 
there's always new videos come out on YouTube. Here's this new technique. Here's this new way of doing things. People are much better painters than me. Hi, Henry. Uh, always pushing back the boundaries of what they're doing. And, you know, we can learn from them, the, the, the professionals out there and the golden demon winners, you know, uh, and try just a little bit of that in our own hobby. Yeah, and, and, and products are coming out all the time that make it easier. Mm -hmm. What's number seven, Andy? Tournaments. Oh, yes. Tom, tournaments are great. I love tournaments. Um, it's an excuse to go away with a group of like-minded people. We go away for a day. You get to play three to, no, if it's over two days, maybe five, six games. Um, you get to... Before that, you get to plan your list. It gets to drive your painting and your hobby time. I will make innumerable lists, change them, change the army, come back again, paint it up, paint another army, finally settle on something that I'm trying to balance between effective and historical. And then you actually get to play the games themselves. And almost the games are kind of secondary to like just having a good time and just going. And, you know, I tend to do okay. It's good to do well, but you know, it's just it's just fun. It's just fun to go away, and it's a good community builder between different clubs and and seeing different people. Occasionally, you get to see podcast celebrities as well. Ooh. Again, in complete agreement about this one. I I love tournaments and events, uh, and I think as you were sort of explaining there, I think they're a really good framing device for your hobbying yeah in that not only do they give you like you buy a ticket for a tournament you've then got a date in the diary yeah. like, on this day i am taking a army to play x amount of games so you, you then go right and you, you could have you know that tournament could be six months in the future it could be three months it could be a year in the future but you know i have a finite amount of time before then and having that finite amount of time allows you to then sort of divide it into what you want. You go, right, am I going to, what army am I taking? So you decide what army you're probably going to take. You then start, right, what am I likely to take in that army? You can then, If you've got several months, you can start playing with that army and fine-tuning and playing with it and go, well, I was thinking yeah. about taking this tank, but it's garbage. I'm going to try and take this tank instead. And you know, play around with it and have a go, you know, you can build it, you can hobby it. If you've got more time before the event, you think, right, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do that really weird early war, early war cavalry army that I want to do, which will take me a long time to get the models for and paint, and I can play it and it'll be fun. And then you have you, the day comes, you go away, you go with your friends. As you say, it's a day out or a weekend away with your friends, which is a lot of fun. And the gaming game is almost then incidental. Yeah. And but then the flip side of that is sometimes you go, actually, I'd really like to push myself competitively and see how can I go, how would I do playing competitively? And I've only done this once, really. It's when I went to a, a bolt action tournament on my own. None of you lot went. I went on my Todd. I took a really competitive army. I thought, right, I'm going not to have fun. I'm going to try and win. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. And I won. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was... I, I, I ended up winning 
I, I won that tournament because my opponent in the last round rolled horrendously on his prep bombardment. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like, but I'd had fun before then anyway, and you know, I, it was. It was I think one of those think cool experiences. I think you won, Tom, because you you know all those practice games you had against an amazing opponent probably set you up for that win. Yes. <laughs> but that was, but also that, that was like that wasn't so much fun. That might not have been so much fun for you, because you know, for at least a month before that, we were playing every week. When I was bringing a really hard list and trying to beat you, rather yeah, than good, good practice for me too. Rather than us having fun, it was right. How do I fine tune this? Right, we've got the medium howitzer and the nebelwerfer. Let's go. Yeah, that's uh, all good. What's number eight, Andy? The golden age for games, minis, and all kinds of products. We live right now in the best time ever for products, rules, um, connection through you know the internet or YouTube or you know there's more available now for us than has ever been available for anyone in history to war game. It's an incredible time to be alive and there's just such a wealth of games to choose from. I know we talked about the scales, the size of game you can play. You know, you told me you told me that you picked up um rule set to play like I um wars in like between Maori war warriors, the um you know um and there's so many interesting you know, little role playing games like Shadow of Mog. And, you know, uh, even, you know, it's just the models that GW are putting out are just incredibly detailed. So amazing. And the products, the paints, the washes, it's incredible. The fact that I can pick up my phone and, you know, and look up any information. I want to. It's just astounding. I think there has never been a better time to get to be involved in miniature wargaming. Oh no, I I think uh, absolutely, and I know sort of when I compile my notes for hobby news every fortnight, it's we only talk about an absolute fraction of the things that are coming out, and and to be honest, most of the things we talk about are things that sort of come across my personal sort of social media feed, feeds or what I, I read about in the, the odd gaming magazine that I read, and it is just a tiny fraction. I must see, if I don't go 48 hours without either seeing some models or a game or a rule set, that I think if I had an infinite amount of disposable income I would be buying because I would really like them, Yeah. Th then something's going wrong. I would say it's almost every day I yeah. see something and go, I would really like that. And... Okay. It's part of the dilemma is you can't, you actually can't collect and play everything. No, you, you can't. It's completely impossible. And yeah. I think that's, it's both a blessing and a curse, I think. Because you think, well, I really like the Viking Age. I'd really like a Viking Age board game. There's probably three or four. Yes. Really Sport. good Viking Age Sport board games. Sport for choice. Which is, yeah. It's Brad. We listen, I, I love Cast Dice with Brad on, and he always says on his show, it's a golden age. It's the best time. There's more 
everything out there than there's ever been before. And he's not wrong. Great show. You should listen to it. It does a lot of bolt action. Um, I, yeah, and right. And the products that come out all the time, you know, people go, you know, things like hobby lights, you know, hobby lamps. Yeah. Trimmers, wet palettes, brushes. The stuff we have now would make painters of a previous generation green with envy. I remember hearing about gamers of old, and this sounds like I'm making it up, but they used to have to rub their models with banana oil because the, plas- the plastic they had was like really shiny and it would make the the paint wouldn't stick to it. So you had to rub it with some stuff called banana oil. It was like in the 60s. <laughs> like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you had to rub them in banana oil. Well, you know, your paint wouldn't stick to your models. And I'm like, what? I didn't even know banana oil was a thing. And then paint them all in enamels. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, oh. No, I grew. I was born in the seventies, and I remember painting airfix of enamel paints. And oh, I'm glad I have acrylics now because, yeah. Yes. Uh, likewise, I think I'm. In, I'm amazed that most of those of us who grew up and were given an airfix kit with the enamel paints as a kid, then went on to actually painting as a hobby as an adult because it's. Says yeah. the person who's got a tray of enamel paints. Sometimes ah. dips in. Why can't there be a good terracotta in a coloured in that acrylic? Yes. Controversially here, Tom. Number nine. Cost. You know, you can spend five grand a year on golf membership and not play a single game. That's just to get you to get to be able to play golf. You know? Um people say it's so expensive, it's so expensive. I don't think it actually is. If you are focused, you, you and we've done this before. We've I've built an army for bikes for nineteen pounds and fifty pence. You know, I've I've dropped a tray of drinks that cost more than that, and seen nothing for it. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't need to be as expensive as some people perceive it to be. If you're just building what you need at that need, open brackets, close brackets. Um, at that time for what you're, what you're playing, you can actually build an, arm, an army quite cheaply um, if you stay focused and look for deals. We all have a tendency to perhaps buy more than we need, and that can be a problem. But um, to actually get stuff on the table, the cost to compared to other hobbies, I don't buy a season ticket for any football clubs or anything, but you start actually looking outside of just the hobby and it, it actually isn't that expensive. No, I, I'm in, in complete agreement. And it also comes down to what kind of hobbyist you are. If you are a gamer, in the fact that you know you want to build an army so you can play games with it, and then you, will, you are quite happy to play games with that one army, then it's incredibly cheap. Yeah. You know, I, I know, you know one of the best... Uh, or definitely one of the best-known bolt-action players in the UK, he played his same American army for years. And I'm sure I read somewhere that he played like nearly 300 games with that yep. one army. And a bolt-action army is about £100. Well, there's there's this deal at the moment. You can get a paratrooper, um, a power's army, with like, a howitzer in it, for 50 quid. And that's yeah. all veterans. 
yeah. <laughs> for, for howitzer, and then you, that's fifty quid, and you could be sorted for an army for bot action for like fifty pounds for like however many games you want. Yeah, like be, before I moved to London, I used to be very heavily involved in archery, and I would to go to my archery club, shoot once a week, and just the the running costs of the miscellany I needed to just go and shoot once a week would cost me about £600 a year. Yeah. If I have an army and I go down to the club once a week and have a pint of lemonade, I'd be looking at about 350 Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sur- I surprise myself because I will arm and ah over like spending 10 quid on something. And then the next moment I'll be walking down the street and I'll pop into a well-known coffee chain and buy a, a large coffee and a cake and spend like 10 quid. And I don't even think about it. And then the next minute, I'm like, well, it's £10. <laughs> you know, and I feel guilty. It's just, I don't know why I feel guilty about the model, but I don't feel so guilty about the the Danish pastry and the coffee. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can make it expensive. Everyone has different incomes. I know that. Um, but, you know. And it, oh, another thing, just to go in with, with the cost of it as well, is... You actually have something to show for it. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Tom. I, I mean, if you, yeah, if you, the the value you get from buying and painting a model. If you were to buy a cinema ticket, for example, how long is a movie these days? Two to three hours. I will get more than two to three hours enjoyment out of, you know, fifteen pounds worth of of models. Yeah, because we have a, a club mate who painted some of the Adeptus Titanicus Titans. Oh, yeah. And he'd worked out that they were taking him about a pound an hour to paint. So if he was picking up like a, a Reaver, they were taking him about 30 hours to paint. And like the Warlord, about 60 hours. So he, and then, you know, like the Warlord, 65 pounds, the Reavers, 35 from GW themselves. So, you know, a pound an hour. That's pretty good. It's, it's not about holding you know, Taking that cinema ticket scenario, you're looking at what a tenner an hour for. Yeah, I mean, I buy a Snickers for a, a king size Snickers for a pound, and it doesn't last me an hour. Yeah, sure. No, you you can buy a fifty pound video game that takes eight hours to complete. Yeah. So, I I, I think hobbying in like pound in for hour out is actually I, I would say prob- for most parts of the hobby fantastic value really. and also you know there's opportunity there's some people call it opportunity cost as well you know you're giving up other things to paint those models and and do it but then you get access to all the positive things we've talked about previously so if you're not going out drinking, instead of doing that, the opportunity cost is you're going to stay home and paint them. Well, then you get to go out another night and have a great game for, you know, for the rest of the year. You give up one night of, and instead stay in and paint, and then that's it. You know, you, you, you're giving yourself the opportunity to then play the games. Yeah. Com- com- you know, again, completely agree with you. That's probably why we're friends, Tom. Yeah, who could, who'd have known? Oh, I'm going to put forward an idea. Instead of calling it the pile of shame, I want to call it the to be painted pile. 
What do that's you think? A, that's a really good idea. The TDP. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. If you've got any suggestions out there, listeners, then do let me know on the Facebook page. Why not join the group? Why not subscribe on Spotify to this podcast? Um, the final one, it never ends. This hobby never ends. You never get to the final level. You never meet the ultimate boss and go, well, that's it. It's not like a book that you can get to the end of and read the final page. If you finish an army, you could start again and paint it all over again, even better, or do it in different scale or a different period, or the, or the opposing army, a different general, perhaps. No one has ever gone, well, that's it. I've painted every single army in every single scale, and there's nothing left to paint. Alexander the Great wept because there were no more countries left to conquer. We never cry because he ran out of models to paint on. No, and I think this is a, a, a great you know, way to look at the you know, to-be-painted pile. It, it's how I look at mine increasingly, really, is that since I came to accept that I am going to be, con I am going to be building and painting models, basically until I croak it, hopefully, because yeah. I enjoy building any, and painting any, models. Any, I hope. Yes, it, it's not like I, I'm not build. I don't have a list of things I want to build. I know and paint and have finished, and then once I've got them, it's like right, that's it. I've got everything I want. No more hobbying for me, just gaming from now on. That's not how I work. That's that's not yeah. me. I'm, oh, I will, you know. I know at some point when I do reach the the point where I've run out of space, I will look at everything clear and I will go right. Which is the worst army in this one? Right, I'm redoing that one if I want to redo it, or I'm getting rid of that one. I will do something new and replace it with something different. That's yeah, I I I. I I happily sell armies that I'm not using. I have no qualms about selling off models and armies that I've painted and I don't use anymore. I know people say, never sell models you've painted, but I, I'm of a different opinion. I'm like, no, son, sans regrets, Tom. If you're no. not playing with me, don't like them anymore. Sell them, buy a new set, paint them up. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking about new things coming out all the time. If you've got an army that's made out of slightly fugly sculpts and then some new amazing ones come out and you go, oh, don't really like these early war British I've got. I don't like these 8th Army models I've got. They're a bit... Uh, and then some amazing 8th Army models come out and you go, I really like those. Yeah. You know, do that again. Yeah. And you, there's always, you know, the route I've gone down with bolt action. Once you've got all the main armies, go weird. You know? <laughs> I, go. I, I started weird. Unfortunately, it was a mistake. But, uh, yeah, you know, go Dutch, go Abyssinian. You know, yeah. Why not? It's yeah. I, I feel I feel like I'm in a place now where I can just go. What do I feel like collecting? What do I feel like painting? Go on to Austrians. Do I want to do Portuguese? I don't know. I'll choose one. Yeah, I might still do Prussians. I might, you know. It, it does, it, you know, I the, the world's my oyster, as it were, to, be, to use a cliche. And there's all like 3D printing's come along now. You yeah. know, um, this kind of fits with a golden age um, of gaming, um, as well as this. But you know, you, you can get obscure tanks. You can you can do obscure armies now that you couldn't do before. You know, you can just just 
your imagination for what you want to collect can just it can be anything you could do anything out there yeah i think if if you can do if it's researchable what you're doing we already you know the technology already exists for it to not be too difficult to do what you want to do no matter what it is as long as you actually know what it is you need yeah yeah if you know right this is the tank that was there right what was that tank what did it look like in its, its vaguest regards right this is it right so i and you know the way things are going i imagine it in five definitely 10 years time 3d printing 3d modeling that sort of thing will be blow us out of the water for what's already yeah. available now it's gonna be a whole nother level of, of yeah incredible like only t- only today did i see a, i've been looking for a japanese heavy mortar which no one seems to buy seem to make i found the sdl file from somewhere so i uh contacted oil drum industries asked if they would be able to print it for me mm. you know got that it's being printed for me as we speak lovely and so you know that's sort of you don't even have to find the models now if you can find someone who you know companies that will print you things or you know new companies that are starting up all the time offering prints it's just and it's, it's rule sets as well. You've got war games. I, I feel I can go back onto the golden age rather than it never ends as a hobby. But, you know, there's rule sets. You can find any period and you can find games for it. You know, so your hobby does not have to be limited to just one game, just one time, just one scale. You never have to worry about finishing. You know, you it just it just goes on forever. And, and for me... That's wonderful. Some other people might find that terrifying to think I can't collect everything. Just, you know, it, it frees me up to feel like I can collect anything I want and paint anything I want. Yeah, it, it's not like we're into classic rock, which has to end and, you know, January 1st, 1990. You know, we yeah. can. It's I think new things are always going to come out. New things are always good. We are always going to be hobbying. Something new is always going to come out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it always gives us something to be interested in or to chase or to see and be excited about. It's, we have a We have a section called Hobby News because I'm excited to see what new things are coming. Yeah. Like Stargrave's come out. We're coming out. And yeah. um, it, the science fiction games have existed before. It's not the first science fiction game, but I'm really excited to, you know, see what Joe's done and try out and play the game. It's going to be so much fun, you know. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fantastic. I think if I'd have come up with a, a list of ten things, I don't think really there'd have been any differences. I think, you know, everything you thought of is exactly how I think of it as well. You know, good. Who'd have guessed we'd end up doing a podcast together? <laughs> And controversially, we agree on lots of things. Not everything, but most things. Anything else you want to add, Tom? No, Andy, thank you. I think we've we've covered everything that I would say, really, in detail. I think we've. I could go into a great more detail about what I think you know, the mental health, well-being, and the aspects of hobbying, but that's probably maybe a conversation we could have at a later date or possibly for a bonus episode. I think that'd be a good thing to talk about, Tom. Excellent. If you've listened to this and you've enjoyed it, anything, any questions about any things we've raised in this conversation, then please do get in contact with us for our Facebook group. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon.
Good night. Night, Tom. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please, if you're not a member, join the Facebook group, Hobby Support Group. If you listen to us on Spotify, subscribe or drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you and talk to you soon. Awesome.